let's get going here. We're, we're back in Philippians. We, were, we started Philippians. We're going through the book of Philippians last Sunday. And the title of that message was... Uh, hey, wait, hold on. Before you answer that, Kylie, there is in the closet... Um, there's a basket, I think, near the top shelf that has, like, prizes. Can you get those? So, the title of last week's message was what? Ethan? Last week's message, the title. What is it, Jocelyn? Who are we? Close. That's today. So this is tricky because we've been doing a vision uh, series, like just talking about who we are as a group. But then we switched gears. And, and last week we started something totally new in, in Philippians. But the title was similar to like identity. Who are you? Is that right? That's right, Madeline. So these prizes are kind of like, I mean, like you go to a circus and you win a prize kind of thing. Like, you know. Oh, that was mine. I figured instead of a thrift store, you know. Okay, good. Okay. And then here's another review question for a prize. Last one. It is this. What was the Bible study rule that we learned about last week? There's a Bible study rule. Yeah. Bible study rule that we learned about. It was in purple. If you have your handouts. Bible study rule. Talked about it at the beginning. I said, I read the official, um, I don't think I have it here. I read the official title of Philippians, that is the epistle written to, what is it? Yes, the three different groups or audiences that the Bible is written to. And what are they? Jews, Gentiles, and the church. Okay? That's important as you read through your Bible because not... Here you go. Listen to this. Watch this. Is that... (laughs) That's someone's sweater that was left and lost and found. So, now it's a prize. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly, you can't just take gifts out of the gift (laughs) bag. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can do that. I thought you were just taking stuff. I was like, woman? <laughs> like, I want this. <laughs> I thought it would have been cute. She put one in her pocket. I saw it. <laughs> I bet she you did. She's going to be wearing that sweater. All right. She's going to have a sweater on. Just carrying it. <laughs> She'd be mad. Okay, so the three audience is important because it's like, think about the Bible as a letter. Okay, so it's a letter. And uh, and imagine, you know, you go to the mailbox, you rush to the mailbox after the mailman leaves, and you open up this envelope, and it was addressed to me, and it was from Kylie. I don't know why it would be sent to your house and... Well, you know, let's work with me, okay? 
So Kylie writes me a letter, and then you open it up, and it's like, you're so handsome and wonderful, and I love your smile. Okay, if you're, if you're reading that, you're like, this feels weird. <laughs> like, why is she saying this to me? Because she's not saying it to you, right? She's saying it to someone else. God has written these letters, these books of the Bible, to specific people. And oftentimes what people do is they assume that that book is written to them when in fact it's not. Does that make sense? Now we're going through Philippians because it's a book, it's a letter written to the church, which if you're a born-again believer, hey, that's you. So we can read this letter, we can read this book and apply it directly. We can take it and and read it as if it's being written to us. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's just a Bible study principle. All right, let's get going here. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to cover, so we covered two verses last week. We're going to cover 3 through 11, so we'll cover a lot more ground today. And, uh, and we're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about, like, who we are and how does love play a role in us as a group um, as we see it here in these verses. Let's pray, and let's do it. Father, thank you for your word. And God, thank you for this group. Lord, I'm just, uh, I'm just reminded of how you answer prayer. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for, uh, God, how you want, you, you're eager. You, you are ready to be involved in our lives. Like, that's what you want. And so when we ask for that and when we look for that, God, you're faithful to be there, to be present when we need help, to... Um, to lead us, you're present to lead us, you're present to give us fruit when we ask for it. And um, Lord, just whatever we need to see this morning, God, I ask that you would help us, that you would show us what it is. Show us just these, these, these wondrous things in your word this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's do it. So verses 3 through 6 is where we'll start. And as the verses popped up here, there's a couple... Phrases or words that are underlined and emboldened because they stood out to me as I'm reading through this passage. And, um, and I think I learned some things I want to share with you. So he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel. From the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. We're going to pull some applications from that. How many of you, though, have heard verse 6 before? You, you, that's a familiar verse. Verse 6. Raise your hand if that's familiar to you. You're like, yeah, I've heard that a bunch of times. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Awesome verse and probably a staple verse, like one that we hear a lot. So what is Paul praying? Here's what Paul's praying here in these verses. It's a prayer for these people. He prays uh, being thankful to God for the people. He thanks God for these people. He's asking God for the church's fellowship in the gospel. He's asking that they would have fellowship in the gospel. And he's trusting there in verse 6 that God will remain at work in their lives. That makes sense? So here's what I saw there. Here's your blank. There is maturity in Paul's relationship with the Philippians. There's maturity in Paul's relationship with the Philippians. And we're going to kind of break that down. Before we do, it's 
700 degrees in here. Can we open a window? It does not feel good in here. <laughs> Who's cold? Raise your hand if you're cold. We're by the window. I'm still hot over here. Who's hot? I can't. My armpits are sweating. It definitely was, since you said it. Raise your hand if you're cold. Hands up high. Cold. One, two, three, four, five. There are five cold people. Raise your hand if you're hot. Well, perfect. If you don't care, then I'll open the door. Okay, let's keep going. So Paul, his relationship with the Philippians, what we see is there's a maturity. He has a mature perspective and a mature, like a relationship is two, two people, right? Well, his side of things, he's showing maturity in what he's praying for, okay? So here's, here's how I would characterize the maturity of his prayer. He was thankful for them. Being thankful is being mature, Immaturity is unthankful, right? You know people who when, you know, like, uh, you know, somebody gives you something and you don't say thank you. What do you think about that person? You're like, well, I mean, whatever. Whatever. But when, when you give something to someone and they say thank you, what do you think? You're like, oh, you're welcome. There's an acknowledgement of sacrifice. There's an acknowledgement of like an interaction that is something that has to be trained and taught, right? Little kids have to be taught to say thank you. They don't just come out and receive candy from grandma and grandpa and say, thank you so much. That was so thoughtful of you that you got this candy for me, that you sacrificed, that you went out of your way to get this for me. I really appreciate that. They don't do that. They have to be taught and trained. They have to be matured to that place. And Paul was in that place. He was thankful for these people. He was also mindful. He was mindful of pleading their relationship with God and with one another. He's making requests for their fellowship in the gospel. Right? Okay. That is maturity in that. If I just ask that you get a Lamborghini, if my prayer is always for that Lamborghini for you, What am I thinking about for you? I'm just thinking about you having fun and having a really expensive, cool car. That's all I'm thinking about. Which, sweet, if you get a Lamborghini, cool, I guess. But what he is, he's thinking about, is he's thinking about their relationships. You're going to interact with relationships far more than you interact with the Lamborghini. And your relationships specifically... God and with the people who you should be in fellowship in the gospel with are far more important than anything else practically in your life. Let me say that again. Your relationships with God and your relationships with the people who you should have fellowship in the gospel with, that is us. These relationships, you, you might not believe me, and that's okay. You might not believe me. They are more important than anything else in your life. Right? Okay, so that's what he's praying for, for what's best for them. That's maturity. And he was confident that God was in charge of their growth. 
He says there in verse 6, he's confident that God is going to be the one that continues that work that he's begun in their heart and in their life. Right? He's not, he's not emotionally manipulating, peer pressuring them into anything. He just says, I'm just confident that he that's begun a work, he's going to keep doing it in, in your life. Okay. So here's some reflections for us. Questions that you have there. And I want you to just maybe answer these. Maybe write a note next to the question of whether it's true or not of you. Do we remember or consider one another throughout a week? Do you remember or consider one another? How many of you would say, yeah, I think I probably think of some of the people in this room sometimes throughout the week. Right? Sometimes you're like, yeah, my friend. Right? Okay. Are we thankful for one another? Like, like I'm thinking about um, Brock and Mitch. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for their partnership in the ministry. I'm thankful for their friendship, for their uh, that we're we're together in ministry and in life. I'm thankful for Rhonda and Lauren, and that same way that we're partners in not just church. We're partners in life. Like, we're friends. We're tight. And I'm thankful for that. But I'm also thankful for the fact that when I'm low, when I'm burdened, when I'm heavy, when I'm hurting, this happens. Anytime I reach out to them, I'm like, can you guys pray for this or that? Can you just lift that up to the Lord with me, for me? Lift me up to the Lord. They're always, they're always very quick and faithful to say, yeah, I'm praying for you. And I believe them. Right? I'm thankful for that. Do we have people in the class that we have that relationship or that dynamic with? Right? I I don't know. Some of you do. Do all of you? Do we pray for one another? And then this last question. What is our fellowship in? And what I mean by that is how do we relate to one another? So like I think that there there are students in here who have friendships that go beyond this room. I think that's great. Right? But like you might hang out outside of your time in here. Happen, right? Raise your hand if you hang out together with someone in this room outside of being in this room. Yeah. Great. Okay, so let me ask you this then. That is wonderful. That's great. You should do that. And you should do fun things. You should go to football games and you should go like do fun stuff. Right? But what is it that relates you one to another? What is it that connects you guys in that fellowship, in that friendship? What is it that draws you together? Is it your common interests? Right? Which is good. You should have common interests. Kylie likes the Spurs. Brock likes the Spurs. So they can talk about the Spurs. Mitch likes the Chiefs. I like the Chiefs. So we can talk about the Chiefs. Cool. If the Chiefs is all that Mitch and I have in common, our relationship not only will go only go so deep, but also it will only last so long. 
You understand? So then when the Chiefs are no longer good because Mahomes is an old man or something, then we're probably not going to talk about them because we don't care about them. And then we probably won't talk to each other. Aw, oh, man. Okay, so your friendships and how you relate to one another, you might just take inventory. Be mindful of that. Because if your fellowship, your friendship, what draws you together is the gospel, and all that that entails, you have depth that no other teenager in your life will have. You understand? You will have depth to that relationship than no one else who doesn't have that same type of fellowship. They, they don't know, they don't understand it. I can text Brock and say, my soul is heavy. I'm burdened. And he knows what that means. And then he lifts my soul and my heavy burdens up to the Lord. And then I feel lighter. And I feel the peace of God. I don't get that if I tell Mitch, man, Chiefs are just, you know, they're not really, their offense isn't really, you know, doing great. He's like, yeah, they need a receiver. I'm like, yeah. All right. See ya. They do. They need something. So, the question is, what is your fellowship in? And if it's not in the gospel, can I just invite you that it ought to be? That there is, there is fertile ground for growth and fruit in your relationships if you will center them on the gospel. Make sense? That is remarkable. Okay, so leaders. Whether you're one of the adult leaders, this was for me, and, and I think it's for you too, but maybe you're a student leader and you feel like, I want to be someone who ministers to and invests in other students. Here's the question for you. What is our confidence in regarding the growth of the people following us? What is our confidence in regarding the growth of the people following us? I'll tell you what, my confidence naturally in my flesh, is often in this guy. What I think just naturally is I'm like, okay, let's use Chris as an example. Because he's sorry, he just grabbed a donut. <laughs> okay, so Chris, I believe, is at some level following me. Because he's here. And he was at Grandview where I was, and then I'm here, and now he's here. And he's not here just for me, but he followed me here. Does that make sense? So what I often do in my mind, in my flesh, is I say, I have to be faithful, wise, impressive. I have to be like, I have to have the answers. I have to be winsome. I have to do this right. Otherwise, he won't grow. He won't connect with the body. He won't grow in his personal relationship with God. I put that weight on myself. Why? Well, because I'm just a dude. I'm, I'm proud. Like, I'm just a natural man. But what does Paul put his confidence in? He, he's confident that the Lord is going to do all of that work. So what is your confidence in regarding the people who are following you? Can we, leaders, just trust God in prayer to just do all of the growing, giving all the increase in this class? 
I think we're going to be a lot happier, a lot more at peace, and a lot more fruitful if that's the case. So here's your principle. What your confidence is in will reflect how you minister. What your confidence is in will reflect how you minister. So if my confidence is in myself, causing Chris to grow, then how I minister to him is probably going to be me-centric. I'm going to be working really hard. Whereas, if I just love him, be his friend, be normal, just pray for him, then probably what's going to happen is I'm going to be at peace. And you're going to notice it, I would imagine. Right? Or how about, here's what happens often in high schoolers. I've at least seen it a few times. You get on fire for the Lord. You want to serve Him. You want to follow Him. You want to be used by Him. And so you go into your classes and what you think is, I have to preach the gospel. It's a good thought. Right? If you don't have that thought, you should start having that thought. So you go into your classroom. I have to preach the gospel. And if I don't, then I'm going to be bad. So I'm going to do it. And then kind of in like a little bit of anxiety and panic, you're like, all right, I'm going to just go open the door. And then you roll up. You roll up to a guy and you're like, hey, do you want to come to church with me? And they're like, no, not really. And you're like, can I tell you about Jesus? And you're like, not really. And you're like, please, just let me. Have you ever read the Bible? And they're like, why are you? And you're like, I just need to. And then you're kind of awkwardly trying to engage in a conversation that the Lord hasn't given you an open door with. And then you're just all in knots because you're walking around and you're not successful in your evangelism. And that feels bad because you know you were built to be evangelizing. But you're not doing it. And you're not doing it because you're trying to make it happen versus being confident that the Lord will do that work in you. He'll open those doors and He'll make fruitful who He wants to make fruitful, including you. Does that make sense? Kind of, sort of? Okay, let's keep going here then. Verses 7 through 8. Look, we just covered four verses. Psh, no time. couple verses here. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Check that phrase out. I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Excuse me. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. I have you in my heart. How greatly I long after you. Having won these souls in Philippi. Okay. Worshipped with them. Discipled them. And even as we see here. Received care for his physical needs. As well as spiritual support from them. Paul's soul was knit. To these church members. His soul was knit. He was longing after them. He had them in his heart. It wasn't just a, hey, good morning. Glad you're here. Thank you. You need to have that. If you don't have that, like, he doesn't know it's, it's, it's good to have him, right? Hey, glad you're here. Praise the Lord. Hey, glad you're here. I do a lot of that. Hey, glad you're here. Hey, glad you're here. Welcome. This is good. You should do this to each other, even though it feels really cringy watching me do it. You should do that. Why? Because you're just opening, you know, opportunities to have conversation. But if that's all we do, we're kind of wasting our time, right? People are just going to have these superficial, surface-level interactions that go nowhere. How about, I know what you got going on. Maybe you don't say it like that. That might be intense. You walk up to somebody, the first interaction is like, 
I know what you got going on. That might be too much. But if you, if you do know, because you spent time and you've shut your trap and you've listened to them, whoa, that might be, that might be something. Shut your trap and listen to them. Wow, you do that and then you know what they've got going on. And then you can come alongside them and instead of just a, hey, I'm glad you're here. How are things going with X, Y, and Z? Good? Oh, good. Praise the Lord. Yeah, I've been praying for that. I'm really glad that, I'm really glad that that's the case, that God is at work. So tell me, what, what has God been doing? Like, how has it been playing out with that thing? Look at this guy. I think he's serious. Let's praise the Lord, right? Okay, that kind of interaction times time equals being knit together. So what do those interactions look like? What does it mean to have um, a relationship that causes you to, to long for one another and to have one another in your hearts? Let's talk about it. I think that it has to happen through specific circumstances. But what it is, is a tenderness. There's tenderness in Paul's relationship with the Philippians. Let's not miss that blank. There's tenderness. Can you all see this? Is that good? There's tenderness in Paul's relationship with the Philippians. And I believe, as I've said, that it comes from specific, a specific manner of living life with one, one another. Okay, This love and kinship was likely spurred on in Paul and the Philippians' hearts and in their relationship by the trials and the intensity of persecution that they had to endure together. Right? Do you, you, we mentioned it in Acts chapter 16 last week that when Paul shows up to Philippi, there's like salvation, God is at work, and then, and then Paul is beaten, like physically beaten, tortured, and then put in prison. And then, and then God moves, and the place falls apart, and then there's more salvations, and then He's released, and then He, and then he goes to the church in Philippi, and He's like, guys, guess what happened? And they were all, they were all together. They, were, they went through that together as a group. They knew, like, the church knew about that. <laughs> Does that make sense? It'd be like if Isaac went through these awful, you know, trials and tribulations because he's preaching the gospel... And he's like, hey guys, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. And then he gets put in prison. And we're like, wow, we're praying for him, we're praying for him. And then he gets out and he comes to, to class. And he's like, hey, can I give testimony of what God's been doing? I'm like, yeah, I didn't even know you were going to be here. I thought you were going to be in prison. Please. And he's like, well, let me tell you what happened. And then he tells us all this stuff. What does that do to our relationship with Isaac? Obviously, we're like, wow. Isaac? Sweet. Like, okay. That was Isaac? And we're, we're knit to his story. We're knit to that narrative. We're knit to his feelings and his experience. Just like I think they were. They've been through persecution. They've been through victories, through salvations, through fruit. They had the day-to-day realities of sharing Jesus Christ together, living life together. And it's because, check this out, this is important. We're going to start to define it. They were, they were in a spiritual battle together. They were in a spiritual battle together. It wasn't just they went to the same school. That's cool. Whatever. It wasn't just that they went to the same church. That's great. Again, not a bad thing. But it was more than that. 
just as it can be more than that for us. This can be, this can be a spiritual battle that we're engaging in. Or you're coming in here, and yeah, you want to hear from the Lord, you want to meet with the Lord, but you can also, another, what you've brought into this room is, man, I know I'm going to school tomorrow, and that's a battleground that God has called me to. And I can't do it on my own. And so I'm going to share what I'm trusting the Lord for for this week. And I'm going to share what I've got going on in my personal life and in my heart and whatever. And, and this is all, you know, these are my, my battle companions. I think that's what they saw in one another. And it's similar to David and Jonathan in Psalm, for, uh, Saul, First Samuel, not Psalm. First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1, it says this, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Okay, do you know who David is in the Bible? You know King David? Do you know who Jonathan is? Jonathan was like David's best friend. And this is where we see their friendship begin. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. But what's the context of their souls just all of a sudden being knit together? Like how did they just, it's like they met and they're like, did we just become best friends? Yup, and then they give each other a high five. It's like all of a sudden their souls are knit together, but what happened? What's the context right before chapter 18? What chapter is right before chapter 18? Oh, you guys are locked in. Yes. The context of that verse is chapter 17. What happens in 1 Samuel chapter 17? What does David do? He's kicking butt, taking names, bro. You know what David did? He was watching sheep, and then he was like, wait... I get to go bring some food to the soldiers. So he sees the battleground. He's like, oh, yeah, okay, what's up? And then Goliath is like, blah, 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 blah. And David's like, let's go, bro. Bring it on. David picks a fight for the glory of God. He's going to take some kingdom territory. He's like, I'm not going to waste my life on little things. I'm going to do whatever God calls me to do. And if that means be a soldier in his army as a small little kid, I don't need all these, this big arm armor and stuff. I need my little slingshot and let's do it. Sign me up. As Sam would say, I'll be your huckleberry. (laughs) So, so then he's victorious He wins the battle. Everybody's looking at it like, wow, that little dude just did that big thing. I mean, he cuts Goliath's head off. Oh, can you imagine? I mean, the head had to have been like half his size. He's just like, check this out. He's grabbed him by the ear and he's just like, and Jonathan sees it and he's like, I want him on my team. That's the kind of guy I want to be next to. That's the kind of guy I want to live life with. It wasn't... Wait. He wears Nikes too? And he follows this person on Instagram? And he watches this show? Yeah, we're going to be best friends. And neither do you. You don't do that. You don't think that way, do you? You don't think, oh, this person looks this way or this person kind of postures themselves this way, so I'm going to be friends with them. You don't do that, do you? Surely you don't look on the outward appearance of a person and make decisions about who you're going to relate to and be friends with, right? Because if you did that, that would be super shallow. 
And not only that, there's meaning. It's shallow meaning. There's no depth there. You know where there's depth? When you say, you know what? I know what I want to do, and it's I want to pick a fight for God's glory. I don't want to be a chump like fellas. Come on. I know it's in you. You don't want to just... You don't want to just go through life being soft. Right? I don't. You don't. I know you don't. Okay, so you want to pick a fight? It's a little scary. Like, what do you mean? You mean I'm going to be fighting demons? I don't know, bro. No. You're going to go like win souls. And what if you look at the guy next to you and you're like, you, are you going to do that or not? Because if not, that's what I'm doing. And whoever is, well, let's do it. Let's do it together. Does that make sense? I believe that's what... Paul and the Philippians had. It was in seeing a companion in battle that drew these soldiers, uh, these soldiers of the church uh, in Philippi together. So here's how I would lay it out. I think it's in your notes. It's in the slides. When we go through hardship together, we lean on God together. Right? When you go through hardship together, you lean on God together. When we go through victories together, we exalt God together. When we go through life together, we walk with God together. When we go through ministry together, we fight the good fight together. And that's how you will begin to long after the people in this room. That's how you will begin to, to, to see and say, that person's in my heart. So here's some reflections for us. Who all is in your heart from this room? Like, who would you say is in your heart? Like you think about them throughout the week. You remember them. And you pray for them. And you're tight with them. And you know you can share your stuff with them. And that they know they can share their stuff with you. And you're in the battle together. Who is that? And may I also ask, who is it that's not in this room that's in your heart? Because there's probably some people not in this room that you have in your heart for good. They should be. Right? Maybe you have somebody from, from this church that's not in this class, a Kaya person. Or maybe another friend from school who happens to go to another church, but you know they love the Lord, but they're in your heart, and you know you're in the same battle for souls. Praise the Lord. But who's in your heart that shouldn't be in there? Who, who is the wise? <laughs> who is in there that you know they're just taking up space and distracting you? They're just, they're just steering your heart away from the things of God and putting it on the things that are, you know, vanity. They don't matter. Who's in there that maybe needs to be evicted? Another question is, what does it mean to long after a soul? And who's your soul knit together with? You can kind of judge this... Uh, Here's one way that you can judge it, okay? What's, what's, the, uh, what's the average age in here? Who's 14? Anybody 14? Who's 15? Who's 16? 17? Okay, lots of 15. It's probably like 15.25. So, bunch of 15, 16... Year olds with a couple outliers, right? I would guess that means then, uh, how do I phrase this? 
Okay, so your emotional intelligence develops after your physical maturity. So you're growing physically, your, your body's growing, you're turning into the adult that you will be one day, right? And your emotional intelligence kind of comes alongside that, but it kind of really matures later on. Meaning, uh, emotionally, if I said, what do you long for? You would say, nothing. What do I long for? I don't even know what it means to long for something. Praise the Lord, that's okay. Let me just explain what it might look like at some point. It might look like this. There is a person who you deem is in your heart and you're desperate. You feel a desperation that their soul be in the hands of the Lord. You're desperate that their soul be in the hands of the Lord and that they just simply acknowledge that they are in the hands of God. Because you know that that's the best place that anybody can possibly be. And you just beg God. God, would you help them to see that in your hands, in your presence, they have everything that they need. And the longing happens when you see that they don't see that. They're not in the will of God. Does that make sense? I got three of you listening. That's perfect. You three can just listen to me. That's what it means to long after a soul. Maybe it looks like, you know, a friend, a family member who doesn't know Jesus Christ. And you know that if they die, when they die, they're going to spend eternity separated from God, specifically in a burning lake of fire. And that thought in your mind and in your heart is overwhelming. It's painful, it's straining, it's burdensome, it's heavy, it's awful. And what that does is it causes you to, to, to look out at their soul and long for it. And to beg God to intercede, to give you an open door, to help their eyes to see the goodness of God. Right? Does that make sense? That's what it might mean to long for a soul. But even further than that, when you, this will happen, I believe. I want to believe that every single person in this room, this will happen to you. One day, you are going to win someone to the Lord. You're going to bring them in from work, from school, whatever. You're going to bring them in to this environment here or in Kaya or whatever. You're going to bring them in. And then the light's going to turn on for them. And maybe they are already saved or maybe they get saved or they've gotten saved. And maybe you even got to lead them all the way to Christ. But then the light turns, because that's great. That's, we throw a party for that. But that's not it. Then the light turns on and they're like, I need discipleship. I need somebody to invest in me and to walk with me and walk me to a place of victory in Christ. To know how to live with God every day. I have a relationship with Him, but what, do, what in the world do I do with it? One day you'll be able to walk through somebody. Walk, don't walk through them. Walk someone through this process of growth and maturity. And then you know what happens to your heart? They're like... They're like a child of yours. And it's not like you condescend and you're like, hey, you better obey or I'm going to give you a discipline. That's weird and creepy. Don't do that. 
But there is a care and there's an ownership of their soul that you feel that causes you to long for them. Does that make sense? That's wonderful. That's where you know you're getting to this place of spiritual maturity when you can long for these souls. Okay, so leaders, does your heart long after the souls in this class? Let's start there. Does your heart long after the souls in this class with mine? And I believe, I, I believe that the adults in this room, they do. But if I can invite you upperclassmen, my heart hurts when you, uh, when you guys are struggling. That hurts. That's empathy. I feel with you the struggle and strain. Like some of you are going through awful stuff, man. It's so hard. It's not fair. It hurts. You feel torn. You feel confused. You feel abandoned and left. You feel, you feel so hurt. And I see it. And I hear about it. And the adults see it. And they hear about it. And they know it. Sometimes you even tell us about it. And can I just, can I tell you, it hurts. We carry that with you. And we're not in your situation, right? We're not saying we get it. We understand, okay? So just listen to us. That's not it at all. If I can just say, it's so awful. Let's just look at it for what it is. That thing sucks. And I'm with you and that that thing sucks. And that's all. I'm just with you. And when you want to take a step, I'm here. I'm going to help you take that step, right? Let's take that step together. Because you're in my heart. You're in our hearts. So leaders, do you have that? And if you don't, here, have it. It's wonderful to own this class with the leaders. Josiah. He wants it. We prayed for the young men in this room. Together. He wants it. He wants you in his heart. Ladies, let's do the same thing. Let's be burdened and let's long for the souls in this class. And then we can, we can long for, for those that are out. That aren't with us, right? The principle is this. Whom your heart longs after in prayers who will join us on the front lines. Whom your heart longs after in prayer is also who will join us on the front lines. A lot of times in this ministry, we see fruit happen after you leave high school. You go into Kaya and then you begin to blossom. And that's the goal. That's the structure. That's the hope. Is that maybe right now you feel like, I don't even know what words you're using, Jeff. What are you even talking about? I mean, I'm getting the best out of you by you just sitting there passively listening. Praise the Lord. I'm cool with that. Oftentimes what happens is you grow and you know, the light turns on. You get into Kaya and you begin to blossom and you get to see fruit in your life. Like the fruit of God. Like the fruit of the Spirit. And you're just like, wow, this is, wow, this is what a life with God looks like. And it's wonderful. And we all get to look down the street and see it. And then you're connecting with people in there and you're growing. And you're growing and you're growing. That's wonderful. 
That starts here, though. That doesn't just happen. Like, if you went to Kaya right now, that wouldn't necessarily just happen, that you become fruitful because Kaya's bigger, they got better music leaders, and they got better preaching. Those things are all true. They've got cooler music leaders than me. Brandon is a much better preacher than me. They are a bigger, more energetic group than us. Praise the Lord. That doesn't mean fruitful. Fruitful means you own and you beg souls with God. And we invite you to do that with us here. And then by the time we send you, hopefully that, that has taken root. Does that make sense? Okay. That means you're joining the front lines. It's dangerous. It's messy. It's scary. But it's great. Last verses here, 9 through 11. He says, In this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. So as the Philippians, he's praying, as the Philippians continue to grow in their love for God and for one another, Paul prays kind of a recipe for real love here. He lays out some things that I believe make up this recipe for us to have love that grows together. Okay, you ready? He says uh, that, that love may abound yet more and more in knowledge. So within true love exists knowledge or truth. Okay, truth and love go hand in hand. We grow in our ability to love people as we grow in our knowledge of who God is. No truth, no love. Does that make sense? No truth, no love. Why? Because Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is God. And God is love. So if you don't have truth in your relationship one with another, you don't have love. You don't have the love that that we would say is true love. Biblical love. And we'll grow in our ability to love people as we grow in our knowledge of who God is. He also says, And in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent. Judgment. Discernment. That's a big word. Discernment. Approving things that are excellent. Wisdom. So discernment and wisdom. We will grow in our ability to love people as we grow in our discernment. For instance... If you've got a friend who has a, 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 let's just say, some sort of addiction, whatever kind of addiction, there are all kinds of addictions, so you just pick one, and they've got that addiction. If you're not discerning and wise, you won't be able to love them well. For example, do you just leave them alone? Well, they're addicted, so I can't talk to them. Is that the case? Oh, well, they're addicted, but I still need to hang. I still need to, I still need to minister to them, so I'm going to hang out with them. Do you, is that what you do? I'm going to go stay the night at their house. Oh, is that, is that, is that what you do? I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to, I want to participate in their addiction with them so that I can win them, you know, to my side. Quit being stupid, right? That's crazy. But what does discernment say? What does wisdom say about ministering to someone who is, is unstable and someone who's volatile and someone who might have more influence over you than you know it. What do you do? 
Well, you need discernment and wisdom, right? Okay, well, your ability to love people will grow as your discernment and wisdom grow. He says that they would be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. This sincere is honesty. This uh, without offense, blamelessness. Right? We're going to grow in our ability to love people as we grow in our confidence in holiness. We will grow in our ability to love people as we grow in our confidence in holiness. What does holiness look like when you put it on? We, we do this every morning. We wake up, put our clothes on. Some of us do it in the dark. And you look in the mirror and you're like, does this match? And if you're like me, you're like, mm. And then you try to find shoes, and you stick them on, and then you walk out the door. Right? You look. If you don't, you might try it. But another thing you do is you go before the mirror, and you're like, okay. Can I get my hair down? Got any boogies? Right? And you get your appearance so that it's presentable before you leave, and then you're before people. Does that make sense? Does everybody do that? Raise your hand if you do that. Raise your hand if you need to start doing that. Amen. Right? Okay. Your ability to love people will grow as your confidence in holiness grows. Meaning, when you look in the mirror of God's Word, or just you look at your life, and you think, I'm going to be holy. Not, I'm going to be better than everybody. I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be sinless. That's not what I'm saying. Holiness is set-apartness. I'm not going to look like everybody else just because that's the easy way to go. I'm not going to think like, talk like, act like, relate like. I'm not going to date like. I'm not going to engage in the activities like all of my peers do just because that's what they do. In fact, I know what I'm going to do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to be set apart. And when I have conversations and when I have behavior in my class, I have a standard by which I want it to, to be upheld to. I want to do all things to the glory of God. So whether I'm studying, whether I'm doing my homework, whether I'm working on assignments, whether I'm talking to my classmates, I'm going to do it for God's glory, not because it's just what I have to do. And then what will happen is you'll stop cheating on your assignments. Be smart, not lazy. What will happen is you'll start loving people in conversation. You'll start talking to people and listening to people. And the more you do it, the more you put on holiness, the more confident you get. That looks right on you. It looks so good on you. You know what doesn't look good on you? Drama, laziness, hate, bitterness. Oh, it looks terrible. Pride, insecurity doesn't look good on you. It doesn't. You know what looks really good on you? Yeah. Holiness. And being cool with it. There's dudes who wear freaking cut-off shirts. That is so... May I just say... <laughs> and you know what? They walk around confident. Hey, you look, but you're confident. Hey, you know what? All right, whatever. 
I'm not going to wear that. But all right. What if we took that approach? Yeah, I don't really give a crap what other people think about me. I'm just going to do what God wants me to do. Whoa. What would you look like then? I think you'd look pretty cool. You wouldn't look like the guy who wears the cutoff. Okay, last one. Fruits of righteousness. He's praying that they would have the fruits of righteousness. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God. That is... God working in and through us. That they would be filled with God working in and through them. We will grow in our ability to love people as we allow God to work in and through us. And that looks like different ways. That looks like you actually opening your mouth to preach the gospel. But it also looks like you just being humble and honest with the leaders in your life, with the people in your life. Hey, I'm struggling with this thing. Hey, I've been doing this thing and I'm just, I need to humble myself and submit myself to you and I just need to let it out and I need you to pray for me. That interaction, you understand? That interaction is you letting God work in and through you. Because what will happen is, if you get honest and humble and you're willing to let God deal with your issues, guess what happens to you? You get humble and you get secure in your relationship with God, and then when the person next to you is struggling through something similar, guess what God's going to do? He's going to say, hey, hey, get, hey, go. It's your turn. And you're like, wait, me? No, I'm not good enough to do that. And he's like, yes, come, I know, I am though. Come on, let's go. And he puts you in place, and you're just like, uh, what's going on? And then they tell you, because they're ready to be humble, and you're like, oh, why did... I had that same thing. Now all of a sudden, God is working in and through your life. Does that make sense? And that's what Paul is asking God for in their lives. There is hope for growth in Paul's relationship with the Philippines. There's hope for growth. He was hopeful that they would grow, that they would be fruitful, that they would mature, that they would be confident, that they would be victorious in ministry. So here's the last reflections, then we've got to get out of here. Some reflections for us then are, do we love to learn the Bible? Are you collecting wisdom? Are you collecting truth and processing it, taking it in? Do you love to learn the Bible? Do we consider what God actively thinks about any decision or situation we are in? Do you have wisdom? When you've got big decisions, do you care what the Lord thinks? You would be wise to consider what God says and thinks and feels about any big decision or small decision. You understand? Hey, listen to me. Hey, hey, stay with me. Do you know what you look like when you wear holiness? And do you desire God to be actively at work in your heart and in your life? In our hearts and in our lives, do we want God to be at work? That's what I want. I don't actually want anything else. In this group, I don't really, I mean, I just want to love you guys, you know? I just, I just want us to share that, to have that, to have real love and have real fellowship, to have the Lord actually moving in our lives and we're acknowledging it and we're trusting Him for it. That's what I want. Raise your hand if that's what you want. Raise your hand if you would say, I want to be a part of a youth group where God is working. 
and where I'm loved and where I'm accepted and where I'm taken care of by the people in this group. There's a bunch of hands. So guys, hey, here's how you take that step. Here's the first step. Here's the first step. Let your conversation with one another change just, just a couple words. Just a couple words. Maybe ask a question like, hey, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? How can I be praying for you? Ooh, that's seven words. Perfect. How can I be praying for you? And why don't you find a space, not in here, because the middle schoolers are going to have a war against us. We would win. But find a space in the main building where you can ask a question. Don't pin them down and corner them in. If they're not ready to share, don't be creepy. But maybe you say, hey, how can I be praying for you? And then, whoa, 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 whoa. That's the first step. What's the second step? You already got it. You already got it. Let's try it. Let's see what that holiness looks like on us as a group. Let's be who we're supposed to be. Amen? Okay, let me pray for you and then we'll get out of here. Maybe say hi to a student on your way 